Hello and welcome to the Mindfulness for Learning podcast. This week I speak to Helen Barnes. Helen got into education by chance when she was given the job of a learning mentor in secondary education in the SEND department. The role of a learning mentor is a complex one, involving many demanding responsibilities. These include ensuring that education healthcare plan outcomes are being worked towards, liaising with parents and staff, providing students with emotional support, whether they're SEND or not, and sometimes having to supervise children who have expressed intentions of suicide. In this episode, Helen teaches me all about the role of a learning mentor, its challenges and the things that she loved about the job. I think you have to realise that there's only so much you can do as a per- as one person, but as long as you know, you're listening and looking for for the signs that say right you know maybe I need to intervene here or speak to someone about this I think that's what it is don't become overwhelmed we also have a good chat about expensive childcare secondary education children with additional needs well-being in education handwriting and the increase in childhood poverty a lot is covered in this episode and you can find all the relevant links of topics that pop into our conversation in the episode summary I should also warn our listeners that we do discuss intentions of suicide in secondary education. If this is something you need support and advice on, I have added some websites to the episode summary. So let's get to it. Helen Barnes, SEND Learning Mentor in Secondary Education. Welcome Helen to the Mindfulness for Learning podcast. Thank you. It's lovely to have you here. Yeah, I'm really excited actually. A bit nervous and a bit excited. Well, it's a subject that I don't feel like I know a lot about and actually your role that we're going to be talking about today I it because you were in secondary education it's Mm. quite new to me so I'm really intrigued by it um and you've come on here today to talk about a job that you're no longer in we'll get to get to that later but it's a role that's considered quite complex and definitely demanding Mm. it's the role of a learning mentor in the SEND department that's special educational needs and disabilities and it's in a secondary school Yes. Can you tell us a bit about your background, career-wise, and how you got to become an SEND learning mentor? Yeah, so I I was in banking from when I was about 18 to 27, maybe. Um, I resigned after having children, and when I left, I was a branch manager. And then, due to a relationship breakup, I kind of retrained I couldn't go back into banking for different reasons so I retrained um, in makeup and eyelashes kind of beauty to allow me to work and support the children and do it around kind of school and childcare. Um, and then Covid happened and I couldn't work mm. and I just thought you know what I just I just want a job now that's not relying on myself does that yeah. make sense and so I'd, I spent so long applying for all these different jobs in the local borough. And not that I have the greatest CV in the world, but I've, I've achieved quite a lot and I achieved quite a lot early. Yeah. Um, I found it so hard getting interviews, rarely ever called back. And um, yeah, not even kind of supervising lunches. And this was one of the roles I'd applied for. And I remember thinking, Do you know what? The school is around the corner. I'm going to get this job. Yeah, and it was the only school that called me back for an interview, and I, and they gave me the job that day, so wow. I kind of landed into it by accident, really. Were they all education jobs that you were applying for, or was it a, like kind of everything and anything? Yeah, it was education because of the children, and I was living on my own, um, so I needed to do something that I could do the pick up and drop off, or that allowed me to have the school holidays with them because I just wouldn't have been able to afford childcare. Yeah. 
in a in a normal job well that's a whole other conversation isn't it i mean yeah. we, we've been talking a lot <laughs> me and my parent friends about i feel so lucky that i get the summer off mm. but just watching parents just trying to manage that six weeks it is crazy that we don't have a system in place a more supportive system for parents just imagining you know for six weeks that you can just not work or pay an absolute fortune to have your children looked after is is a crazy thought isn't it yeah that is the cost isn't it I yeah. before when I was um self-employed I'd often put them both in for the day and see two clients and by the time I'd done that I just I broke even yeah and then it was what was the point of that I could have spent the day with my children yeah so, definitely yeah it definitely I definitely was looking at education okay so you managed to get this job Yes. Um, and just just for listeners and for me, actually, what is the difference? Because in primary school, you don't have learning mentors. I mean, you have. Is it the the equivalent of a teaching assistant in secondary, or is it I more complicated? So. No, I definitely think it's on a it's a it's a TA level. Right. Um, I would say, in secondary schools, well, the school that I worked in, there wasn't one to one support TAs in the classroom. Right. Um, so the children were in the classroom on their own with their teacher and we would kind of support them outside the classroom so you know if if they were dyslexic and they were in the classroom and we realized actually the teacher wasn't providing them the yellow paper they need or the um, the yellow backdrops on their presentations or maybe a reading ruler we would be sorting things like that out for them so what about if they had a statement they didn't have a one-to-one working with them no so this is because I've only worked in the one school. I'm I'm not sure if this is across all schools or how our school worked. Um, it was with we called ourselves. It was like an all inclusive. So you know we wouldn't segregate people and take them out of the classroom for one to one learning. They stayed in the classroom. But if they were statemented and it said you know they need X amount of one to one hours, it was kind of done outside of the classroom so we could say yeah I've actually spent this amount of time with this child over the week but it wasn't sitting next to them in the classroom and and helping them in that way okay so they they the idea was to keep them in class as much as possible yes yeah because I know there was a report done in May 2021 by the government that stated that sometimes they're they're too isolated from their peers they're taking out Mm. too much I guess it's finding that balance so you're you're working as a learning mentor and I'm guessing that you're working alongside a SENCO? Yes, yeah. A coordinator. So is that person managing your role? Yes, yes. So we, our SENCO had um, about 11 learning mentors. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, so we were, and we were a fairly new school. We only had oh, four year groups at the time. Right. Um, so we were growing every year and yes, we had 11 learning mentors that would support across and it was for all areas of SEND we would support, as well as other children with mental health issues. Okay. And how was that? Because this is, we're talking post, well, during the pandemic and post-pandemic. Yes. So, I mean, you hadn't had an experience of mental health pre-pandemic, but what was it looking like dur- during and after? I say after, yeah, it's not it, over. But It was tough, actually. Mm. And especially... When the year seven started, they hadn't finished year six, really, because they had been off for months. And I think they found it really tough, kind of. They were off from, what, the March 2020? Mm, And then suddenly they came back to school in September and 
we just expected them to come in and sit down and follow the rules. We had extremely long lessons. They were 100 minutes long. So wow. it was four lessons a day and they were 100 minutes long with a like a substantial break in between. And we kind of just expected them to come in and sit down and and kind of know the rules of the classroom and know how to behave. But actually, they had been out of socialisation for a long time. Yeah. Was there um, Were there things put in place that were mindful of that? Were there changes made? And um, did the Senko put anything in place that would, you know, make make changes to your provision to help with that? Yeah, definitely. So the first, definitely the first term we had well-being rooms every break and lunch right so we had um so there would be form time a lesson uh i think it was about a 20 minute break um a lesson a lunch a lesson a break so all of them breaks we had different rooms open and because the school was split up so they didn't cross bubbles we had to have a room in each bubble right okay and they were they were manned by learning mentors and it was just for children to come and sit and you know talk to us about if they were worried about anything or if they hadn't made any friends yet they could come to that room and there would be other people in their year group there yeah um, and and was that effective became... do you, how equipped did you feel as a learning mentor to deal with the the problems that the children were bringing to you i definitely think that they didn't bring any issues during breaks and lunch i <laughs> I found out that a lot of children wanted to talk to me during lesson time right? rather than using their own time. So they didn't want to come and talk to me during break and lunch because they're with their friends. Yeah. Um, But it would be, oh, can you can you come and get me from lesson to talk to me? Right. Okay. Yeah. So I I know because they're older children as well, they're quite aware (laughs) of, you know, I'm going to get out of history next. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And I found a lot of the time I would just listen and think right what's kind of going on here and kind of gauge from other members of staff situations that might be similar and who I would go to to support with that I think it was definitely a learn in the role job yeah Um, do you think it should be that looking back do you think you needed more help more training more support to deal with your role or did you go in and think no this this makes sense I can learn this as I go no I definitely thought wow within a week or so I was dealing with issues that I thought I this is way above my head right Um, what was your expectation of the role before you took it what did you think day-to-day life might look like I thought that it would be a really like a nurturing like loving kind of role do you know what I mean Mm. like that I thought that we would be like this kind of safe space in the school that, you know, children would come to and it would be like a home away from home. Mm. But in reality, it was, you know, I had my own timetable. So I had my own lessons that I had to go and supervise um, where I was the only teacher there or member of staff adult. Mm. And a lot of my week was timetabled. So it meant that I needed a lot of time to kind of mop up the children that I needed to see and then I was thinking right I need to get some training as well because there's issues here that I don't really know what's happening yeah or how to deal with it properly there was training available um but obviously within a school you need to you need to request that time that lesson off to attend that training it comes down to time again yeah you haven't got time to be that nurturing person and you haven't got time to learn how to deal with the bigger issues so it's 
you just have to see each day as it comes this is it and i think because i've only ever not i've never been involved in a primary school but i've only ever dealt with primary school because i have primary age children mm. i just thought it would be that kind of community feel and actually i found secondary school to be quite harsh yeah and it was very much you know you're an adult now you know stay in your lesson you should be doing this you should be doing that and there wasn't much of that okay come and sit and talk because then it'd be like you know why are you sitting there talking you need to be getting children into their lesson and you know I just found it it was hard to balance the two yeah so I, I do definitely feel like if I was ever going to go back to a school it, I feel like a primary school would be where I would want to be yeah because I feel like I could nurture more yeah I mean I've never worked in a secondary so I'm not sure but I are you still deal with that I recognize that um Mm. feeling that you're describing of of having this idea of how you want to do things but the reality is so different and even in primary school I think it is working its way down to the point now where even EYFS practitioners are feeling that they can't look at the whole child because of the time constraints the accountability Mm. and that is such a sad thing to think that it's going all the way up can you give an example of what a day might look like for you? I mean, obviously, days are going to be very different in, in that world. But just a, um, what you might do first thing in the morning, just an, an outline. So we had shifts because we were an extended day school. So we were open eight till five. Right. Um, and I was there from 10 till five. Like the early shift would, you know, be there in the morning to welcome the children. They would, you know, talk to the mentees. So we definitely had children with, you know, anxiety issues. Yeah. Um, persistent school refusers that we had kind of agreed to meet early in the morning and we would just talk to them. Sometimes they wouldn't come in and they would go home and sometimes they would come in for a little while. So I know that the morning shift were very involved in setting children up for the day. Yeah. Especially our, our children that really struggled um, with with getting into school or the anxiety of the day ahead and some children just needed just needed five minutes with someone to say you know this is what you've got today you know do you know where you're going for PE or yeah and it was it was definitely difficult for them because of COVID it almost school wasn't like the way I remembered school you know yeah. we didn't have children lining up in the corridors for their classrooms because we just couldn't risk crossing bubbles. So children lined up outside and it was almost like these military operations. You know, they lined up in their class outside and they were escorted through the building to their classroom by their teacher. So they wouldn't kind of bump into each other or if I could see a year group coming, I could stop mine and let the others go. And So in the morning, the people that are... So you've got some learning mentors shifted in for the morning and they're there to work with SEND pupils not everybody just or was it a case of whoever needed it whether they were statemented whether they had special educational needs or maybe it was just a bit of anxiety yeah it was really whoever needed it so basically I mean I'm just thinking of how huge that job is because there's not many teenagers that don't suffer with some level of anxiety worry well-being Mm -hmm. something going on at home so, I mean, how many pupils did you have? I mean, you said it was actually quite small because you just started, but how many pupils did you have? Do you know? Um, I think at the time it was about 861. And there's 11 of you. Yeah. There was, I was about to say there was a pastoral team, but there was maybe two pastoral staff. Yeah. What a huge job. Yeah. And I think all staff are meant to be um, emotionally available adults. mm 
Um, so you've obviously got tutors across every year group that should be doing this as well. Yeah. But I definitely found that that wasn't the case. So like form tutors yes, involved yeah. in the pastoral care, which I guess again comes down to time and yeah. training. Yeah, um, and, and their kind of rapport with each child because... 30 children aren't all going to be best friends with one adult you know there's there will be clashes there personality mm. clashes or they might just not like that adult they might prefer another one of their teachers yeah that's complicated and so when you came in at 10 what would be the first thing that you did usually um it would nearly be a break so i would usually um go off to a break duty so whether that's okay. you know, out in the playground um i would usually I'd usually be with year sevens and nines. Yeah. So, and I knew a lot of them as well. And I would use them times to think, right, I know something is happening with so-and-so. I'll catch them in the playground. Mm. So it would be up to you to decide what children to target? Well, no. So I was allocated mentees that I was kind of, um, not in charge of, but I was responsible for. How many? Um, When I started, I think I had about 16 Right. Um, so I was, but then, so they were the ones that I was officially responsible for, that their parents would go through me for anything or, you know, I would deal with issues for them. Yeah. But then there was lots, and but they were children who were on the SEND register. Okay. But then there was other children who might have been said, oh, Helen, can you start checking in with this girl for X, Y, Z reason? And I would think, right, so I'd normally have another five or six on top of, on top that. of that. And were you but working think, every day? Yes. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, and then after that, it'd be a lesson. So I would probably go off to a lesson across any year group, year seven, eight, nine, and ten. And you had to have um, a mentee in that the class that you were going to sit in, presumably? N- no, so them lessons were my lessons. I was the only adult in that room. So. So you were teaching? Although, no, I wasn't teaching, but I had to... So the school had um, independent learning lessons. Right. So it's basically, so because it's an extended day, eight till five, they don't have homework at home. So it's all done during the school day. I see. And it means that children have access to their own computer and can sit and do the work because they might not have access to one at home. Um, You know, they might have overcrowding at home. They might have no internet. Right, so, so this was made available almost like a home at school where they could go and get their homework done and have support from you. It was just IT you. rooms, IT rooms right. full of computers. Um, so I would be responsible for them. All teachers were responsible for them, but learning mentors had a lot of them. Right. So we were kind of used as additional staff to supervise these children in the room. So I would take a class of, you know, 30, 35, take them up to a IT room and they would sit and log on and do their work. Right. If they would do their work, it was a hundred minutes of, you know, please stop playing that game. Can you log on and show me what you're doing? And So a hundred minutes of you being the only adult in the classroom. Yes. Yeah. And how did you find that? Did you feel equipped for that? No, I didn't. I had no, I I didn't think that was going to be in the job. No. Um, And I received no. So before the school year started, all the new all the new staff went to, um, what, what is it called? Like a teacher training, a teacher expectations right. day, an introduction. Yeah. Um, but the the learning mentors weren't invited. So I had to uphold the same behaviour standards and classroom expectations, but I had no idea what they were. Wow. 
So that's a hundred minutes every day. Or yeah, sometimes it... I would do two of them. I would do two of them lessons normally a day. Right. And so, are you having to? You're not having to stand and teach, but you are having to support them doing work. So you're yes, yeah, so definitely. And... Were you aware of kind of if it was maths, for instance? The I'm thinking there's certain ways that we teach maths. So were you aware mm. of these methods that they were no. using? So you just kind of no. had to learn on the job. So I believe, so they're independent learning. They didn't ever have, I don't believe they had maths. No, they did. So when they had maths, it was, um, it was Hegarty maths. I've never heard of Which is like an that. online learning system. So it'd be okay. like refreshers of what they've done in class. Okay, so it and is they, like homework. And they each have tutorials. Yes, it was all done via a system that kind of set them. And the teachers, so if it was like geography work, the teachers would set PowerPoint slides with all mm. the information they needed to then do the work right but then at the same time there was a lot of oh miss what do you know about this and I would think oh I don't know yeah it's hard to support if you don't know how isn't it and all of the all of the children were doing something completely different so they weren't all doing the same work at the same time wow that is so So how many children are we talking here uh it could be 30 to 35 yeah I mean it's hard enough I'm just thinking in primary when you're teaching 30 children and obviously you differentiate your mm. your lessons or you scaffold the learning in different ways and you yeah. that's difficult enough with the same objective but if you've got children who have got several objectives and they're all learning differently mm. that's quite a task i know that the teachers definitely did scaffold the work yeah. so they could pick you know which task they were doing and you know, bronze, silver, gold, or they they some teachers right. did it like a um like a Nando's chili, so they could pick the extra hot one, or yeah, you know, and so they could pick their level of work, yeah, um, and that's why all the send children in the school were spread out across the classes, so it, we weren't they weren't banded in capability. It was completely mixed classes, and then each each class, like you said, the teacher scaffolded the work. And do you think that worked? I definitely feel like there was a lot of behavioural issues mm. which then impacted on other people's learning. Yeah. Um, you then might have a child who, you know, has ADHD, who is medicated but is still, you know, bouncing off the walls, mm. who feels like they're being told off a lot of the time because they're interrupting everyone else's learning, but it's not a fault of their own. Yeah. And... There was often times where I would kind of walk the school to go somewhere and might see a child I know outside. And I'm like, oh, why, why are you outside now? And they'd say, oh, you know, I've interrupted, I've been sent out. And, and then they're upset because, you know, yeah. they feel like they're being told off. But it's something they can't stop. No, that constant feeling of failure. And that's so yeah. hard on someone, anyone, let alone a child. But then I had other students who were you know, really high achievers who would say to me, oh, miss, so-and-so keeps tapping me every lesson or, and, mm. and that would bother them because obviously we would do our seating plans to spread people out, but they would say, oh, they keep, they keep touching me, they keep touching my stuff and, and then that's impacting their learning. So I, I don't really know what's right and wrong. Yeah. Um, and I remember when I was in school, it was banded and, you know, we had our mm. top sets and our bottom sets and the bottom sets may have had like six people in and at the time... I didn't think, oh, that's six people with special special educational needs. No. I was like, oh, that's just a class of people who aren't very smart, right. wasn't it? Because yeah, we yeah. just looked at things that in a top set and bottom set and there was no kind of highlight of special educational needs. Whereas, mm. I think it's, yeah. so, it's such a difficult one and the one that comes up all the time, in this, this idea of mixed ability or not mm. mixed ability. And I think 
you know, even in primary school when teachers say, well, we kind of have to stream them, they don't know about it. And I just think they do know. Children yeah, do, do know. They know where their place is and they know mm. the people around them. And like you say, there are pros and cons to everything. Um, and I think it's hard when when the groups remain the same and maybe you're with children that you don't... Like you say about the personalities, it's just about mixing things up every now and then so people don't get stuck with the same people. I think it's really important um, so that you're trying out different, different makeups, really. These children with special educational needs were so intelligent, mm. like super intelligent. And... But, you know, maybe their focus wasn't there or they'd get distracted by something. And, and I feel like they don't deserve to be in a class of just five people. No. You know, they should be receiving the same education as everyone else because otherwise you are segregating them. Yeah. I'm just thinking about education system in general. Thinking about how it, it does put a lot of pressure on teachers and children. Do you think it's an accessible curriculum? Do you think it's an accessible uh, system? From a SEND perspective... No, mm. I definitely feel like whether whether the children that I'm thinking of maybe shouldn't have been in a mainstream, I don't know. Yeah, um, because there were some children who had, you know, the reading, the reading and writing and maths of you know a year two child, mm. and they're sitting in a class full of thirty children who can read the work on the board and without a one to one. Yeah, and and they can't read, mm. and then we did. We did go through um, some classes and we picked our highest needs children and we put a learning mentor in them classes. Yeah. But it wasn't specifically to sit with one child. It was to support the room. Right. So we didn't, it wasn't, you know, sit next to that child because then a lot of these children as well didn't want you sitting next to them. Yeah. So when, when that was my role, I went and checked in with a lot of children, whether they were on the send register or not because then mm. it made it look like I was there for everyone, even though I was checking in on the right. same children and checking understanding. But I made sure I checked in with lots of different children. Mm. So they just thought, oh, Mrs Barnes is here to help. Yeah. And how about parents? What do what did the parents feel about the school and the systems in place? Were they supportive? Did they put their trust over to all of you? Or were there parents that questioned your practice? I, f I think that depends on the parent, that yeah. we had both. We definitely had both. We had parents that you know couldn't sing my praises enough and then there was parents that thought I wasn't doing enough and it just was what their perception of my role was to be yeah and I think especially year seven parents if their child was statemented and they had a one-to-one -one for a certain amount of hours they didn't understand why I wasn't sitting with their child for a set amount of hours yeah. And and not realising that I had all these other children as well that I needed to, you know, check in with and support. Um, so, and some some parents who maybe their statement came in later, like say in year nine, they then expected the kind of school to change for their child. But actually, in fact, we'd been putting the provisions in place before the statement was made. And that's how we got the statement. Yeah. Does that make sense? So yeah. we had kind of said to the local authority, we're doing all this extra stuff for this child. They need it. We need the funding for it and for them. Yeah. So we would get the statement and then the parent would say, well, why haven't they got a one-to-one -one yet? And, right. I'd say, and they'd say, what's all the extra things that are going to happen? And I'd have to say, no, they've already been happening yeah. for a year or so. That's how we managed to get this for your child. Um, you know, this is now just giving us the funding for what we've been doing for them already. Yeah. 
Um, and that's another part of the role is, you know, keeping detailed costs of the extra things that I did for each child or the extra things that children received. Um, so we could say, actually, this child needs all of this. I know that the government report, it said that in some cases, pupils did not have written support plans at all. And this meant that um, parents and carers were not given the opportunity to co-produce support plans. What's your experience of that? Did, did your parents co-produce the plans? In, I know that it might be that you don't know because it would have been the Senko's job, but were you aware of the parents being really involved in the decision-making, the makeup of their day? and Not so much the makeup of the day. I know that they definitely have their say to receive um, in the EHCP, mm. so their Educational Health and Care Plan. If they didn't have an Educational Health and Care Plan, there were things that we did in involvement with the parents. So, you know, if we had a child who perhaps has been suicidal and you know the the parent is still sending them to school every day we would then liaise with the parent and say okay well they might say we want a check-in at lunch so we facilitated a phone call at lunch and and things like that just to without an EHCP there were things that we would do but only if it was within our capacity to do yeah so something like that that you're talking about with, with a student being suicidal what support are you working with that child and what support and training have you got to be working with them or are there other people working with you to help you with that along the lines of suicidal children i would speak to pastoral straight away because they i feel like they've had more training than i had no training on anything like that yeah so the expectation Um, wouldn't be that you deal with that that issue i mean yeah the expectation was that i needed to go and speak to that child yeah um, sooner like um, sometimes the children would be in medical you know saying these things and I would get the call if I wasn't in a lesson or there'd be an email that's like so and so is here can you please come and see them but as soon yeah. as I heard you know suicide I would contact pastoral straight away and stay with that child until they came and then they would speak to the child and dis- and I believe they're trained to see what level are they saying I just want to die I'm really upset are they saying, I, I I definitely want to die, but I haven't quite thought about it, or you know I thought about this and this is how I'm going to do it. Yeah. At what so stage? there was these three kind of levels, but as soon as anything like that was mentioned, you know we had to stay with them, phone the parents, and say to them, you need to take them to A and E. And this is um, this is again, I think, thinking about this problem, it's again this idea of managing the situation once it's already occurred, rather than prevention. And and I think yes. that's that's coming up in so much, so many different areas of mental health and well-being, and also actually, the response to um, the Sarah Everard case with the Metropolitan mm. Police. It's Boris Johnson says, well, we'll get police out on the streets, and it's like, well, that's managing a situation that already exists. How are you going to prevent yeah. these things from happening? And it's the same, isn't it? It's definitely. getting it getting there too late. We definitely did a lot on well-being, but yeah. at the same time. I feel like if you've only got a team of 11 yeah. trying to roll that out, it's, it's not going to happen. What kind of and things were in play? Like we, would, we would do lunch clubs every day just so we could check in with children. Mm. Um, but we also created like different PowerPoints that would, could be showed during um, form times that you know, had links, they had videos. We tried to um, put videos that they would really connect with as well, like... Um, what's her name Amelia someone who does chicken shop date right I think she did a video on mental health which the children would recognize her she normally interviews rappers and things so we tried to give things that they could really engage with yeah but 
if at form time the tutor is you know struggling with that class or the head of um who would have done it maybe is it not the head of person or phse right yeah she would give out all the all the tasks that were being done during form times because a lot of it was like collaborative activities so is that happening every day with the form tutor the pshe well it's yeah so she the woman who ran form time would send out like an activity for the week and it would be collaborative activities or things that was happening out in the world kind of talking about them in school yeah um but I, I i couldn't tell you whether they were done or not i know that i spent a long time kind of creating videos and powerpoints and slides and booklets that were meant to go out to all children and i, I don't know if they did yeah i um i definitely when when we went into our, our second lockdown was it february this year i made sure that i kind of emailed all my mentees that i wasn't seeing because i was still in the school and you know every week i sent something out with you know well-being or mindfulness or anything just it's okay not to be okay and i'm i'm here if you Mm. want to talk to me and i'd built up quite a good rapport with students yeah so i felt like i was definitely checking in and like sometimes i sent them I sent all of mine like this little, um, just a string, like a string base bracelet and it had like a little star on it. Mm. And it was just something that I found because I had one and I remember I would just sit and twist it when I was kind of in thought and I thought actually yeah. that might be nice for some children and just something that actually there's someone else who's not in my house that's thinking of me. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So I made sure that I was kind of doing what I could but it just felt like, like you said, it was just firefighting the whole time. We did, um, we did promote um, like these well-being. We did like a well-being week, I think it was, and every day, every child got given this just this little piece of paper, and it had like some faces on it, and it was like, which one are you today? Why do you think that way? And mm. you know, is there anything that you want a teacher to come and talk to you about? And they were meant to hand like fill them out every day and hand them to their tutor. So the tutor could, you know, overview them. Does anyone need any help? And every night for, yeah, a week, I was going to every single form room in the school and replenishing these slips. I would go in and sometimes they would still be on the table from the night before. Right, they hadn't been used. Yeah, and I'm, but I mean, we did get some. We did get some back and got to speak to some children. And But it's not uniformed and it's almost like by the end of the day... And it's five, nearly five o'clock, and all these teachers are thinking, "Wow, I've like I've had this really long day. I might have had four back-to-back lessons. Yeah. I need to mark them in. They can sit there and read for a bit, and then they can go." I think it's the it's the very beginning of the well-being journey for schools. Although it feels it's yeah. it's it is a buzzword. It, it's it is out definitely. there, but it, we're definitely at the beginning of a journey, and I think it's still at that bit where, like you say, these these things are being introduced. But it hasn't been ingrained. And, mm. you know, quite often we do see well-being weeks, well-being days. But actually what it comes down to is mindful teaching all the time. Yeah. And to do that, we do need to be given more time as teachers and TAs and learning mentors um, so that we can ensure that these things are happening regularly and they're part of a child's life. It's the same with an adult, isn't it, when you're trying to get a mindfulness practice. It has to be a part of the day where you will always do it and you'll always remember yeah. to do it and... Yeah, it's de- it's definitely a tick box box exercise for many places at the moment. But I do I do think we're kind of on the right track with it. It's just the next step now. We need to be acting on it rather than just talking about it. 
yeah you're spot on there with with a tick box exercise there's so many things that I thought I'm wasting quite a lot of time doing this because I know it's then not going to filter down the line yeah and actually I could have gone and spoken to someone or checked in on a child that I really needed to check in on well yeah when Ofsted visit you talk about those slips that you that you've that you do at your school even though they're not happening don't you it's that Mm. we're doing this even though we're not Or when when parents are saying, what's being done? And my child is so upset and they won't come to school and they've said this and they've said that. And, you know, there's a six-week waiting for Bromley Y and there's Mm. no spaces with the school counsellor. Then we can say, oh, actually, we've given them a PowerPoint. So, like, having started your role, not work, having not worked in a school before, what surprised you most about working in education or just the education system in general yeah I definitely realized that it wasn't a kind of nurturing space and that it Mm. was very much a business I don't know if that's across all schools this was a trust so whether that makes a difference or not but it was very it was a business and it was very you know offset are coming so this needs to do all the teachers know this or do all the teachers know that and like you said it's very much a showing that we're doing things but are we doing them every day yeah. Well, how do you think you change that? Where does that come from? Is it from up the top or is it should the staff be fighting back? Whose responsibility is it and, and how, how could you change that? I think it definitely comes from the top. My experience there, and I know there was a few staff that left, when they said, you know, this isn't, you know, this school isn't what I kind of thought it was going to be or you said this was going to happen and it hasn't, but because it's like very much like okay then you can you can go somewhere else because we can hire another teacher and the few teachers that when I spoke to them because you do become friendly with people and they would come and talk to you after school and Mm. they'd say you know I I thought it was going to be different or you know I've said this and because nothing's happened I've, I've found another job or they just leave teaching altogether which is the saddest thing because we we you know we're getting people to sign up to teacher training it's actually holding on to them that's the problem mm. because in training is such a lovely place to be because it's so exciting and you can put your own personality on it you can mm. use your strengths and and um advance on your weaknesses and really develop as a person and and you think that's really going to help like you say in a pastoral way especially with the Mm. children and the reality is so different isn't it and I think because we're still set on results yeah we're so results driven and I know they say now it's about the progress of a child not what's at the end but actually when they look at scores they're going to say how many of your children did really well yeah. But then they're not going to say, how many of your children have left with a mental health illness yeah. or, you know, are struggling so or, or you know, how many of your children from your school had referrals to Bromley Y and Cams? Yeah. And we, and Our society is geared up to, you know, how many GCSEs have you got? Yeah. How many A-levels have you got? Are you going to be going to university? Even though now so many people come out of university and can't even find a job. This so, is it, yeah. You know, we, do, we do need an overhaul of, the, of the, um, the education system. I will definitely put a link up to, I don't know if you've seen it, Helen, but obviously Ken Robinson is, um, an, unfortunately died last year, but an amazing advocate for changing the education system um, and, and really paying attention to individual children. So I'll put a link up on the episode mm. summary for that. Yeah, I definitely feel like there needs to be more of like a holistic approach, you know. Yeah. Children aren't all going to be amazing at English, maths and science, but, you know, they could be incredible at woodwork. Mm. And why are we... I, just, I, I don't know whether it's like an airy, fairy land that I might live in, but... 
why are we forcing children to do these things that you know i do say to the children when they're like oh miss why do i have to do geography when i don't like it and i i'm so you know it's like trying lots of different things yeah. because then you'll find something you love and think oh yeah i'm gonna follow that path and maybe for a certain number of years and i don't think it should be the four years that we force them or five years up to gcse yeah um maybe for one or two years what are you really interested in because i definitely think children when they're in year seven they yeah. once they've finished year seven they know what subjects they like and don't like yeah. they know what they're doing well in and what they're not and why are there not different learning paths why are we forcing children down the same funnel yeah like a sausage factory that's, that's not life is it no and i think the sad thing is is that if if it so happens that maths or english is the thing that you're not good at you're reminded of that several times in the week but actually if you enjoy drama you only get to enjoy being good at something once a week and that's really problematic because your self-esteem is just so low so they they rotated them so they did one term of drama one term of music one term of art right so if you loved drama you only did that for one term of the year so it wasn't even every week you you did that and then you didn't see it again till your next school year. Yeah, well that's interesting. What did you most enjoy about the work as a learning mentor? I was thinking about this and I definitely loved some of my colleagues and I know that's nothing to do with the school itself but yeah. I loved being back with adults. Yeah. And having that work like them work friendships and and then I realized that I used to spend a lot of my breaks and lunch so if I wasn't doing a duty and lunches I didn't do a duty I would always go out into the playground yeah and just, just sit to be on a around bench. people yeah and I would sit on a bench and I would normally get the same children coming up to me they would sit with me and we would talk and and I think that's what I really liked and I used to think oh I'm just I just get to sit and talk to all these kids yeah about anything like they would talk to me about what they were watching on Netflix and yeah you know sometimes I had children saying oh I'm the fastest runner in the year and another one would say no I am and I'd say right let's race Aww. and I'd get them you know just little things like that and I just thought just I did really enjoy that yeah and I, I did really enjoy that and even after I've left I do think about some of the children and I'm like oh I wonder what they're doing now like yeah. what lesson are they liking or How's their lunch times going? Does anyone else go and sit outside with them? Yeah, because that's they so loved... lovely that you genuinely cared. Yeah, I, I just, I just liked being out there with them. Mm. And I, sometimes I thought, isn't it nice? I'm just getting paid to sit here and talk to them. Yeah. And then I'd think, oh, but I've got to go to a lesson next. Isn't that funny that you, you, I guess that's devalued in terms of your wage, in terms of what you're earning. Mm. You didn't see that as part of your job when it absolutely is. I've just read The Caring Teacher by Rob Potts, which is out in December. Um, And again, I'll put the link up on the summary so people can find it. But it talks about this, about how building a relationship with the children that you're working with, with the families that you're working with, is the most important part of your job. And children Mm. can see through people who don't genuinely care for them. And having that relationship, I would say, is probably the most important part. So it that is the part that should be earning you the money, effectively, yeah. even though we don't feel that way. Yeah. Why did I you leave? I needed, so my childcare arrangements changed. I initially asked if I could reduce my hours. Yeah. So we were meant to be getting maybe four new learning mentors. So I said, oh, can you know, if we're getting four new members of staff, can I reduce my hours and one of them can pick them up? Yeah. Um, so I waited for a while and I didn't really hear anything. So I... So I asked, I said, oh, what's going on? And they said, oh, they're just, you know, thinking about it. 
And I still didn't hear anything. And so I put in a formal request to the business manager of the school. Yeah. And they just came back and said no. What reason like, did they I, give? I, so I said to them, you know, if, if I can't amend my hours, I'm going to need to resign. And it wasn't a threat. It was kind of, you know, yeah, laying out my situation. Reality. Yeah. Yeah, this is, this is what's going on. Please, can I do this? And... And um, so I could pick my children up from school and Harry was going through an ASD diagnosis at the time and mm. and I felt like I just needed to be around more for them. Yeah. And they said no because no one can cover your lesson at the end of the day. Oh, quite often I covered form times as well at the end of the day. Right. So if teachers had like booked training, they would always book it in the afternoon and then I would end up covering form. Rather than book a supply. Yeah, yeah. So, um, and I'd, I had that over a few lessons as well, year nine maths, and I was like, I have no idea what's going on here. Wow. Um, yeah, so I mean, a so few many lessons. schools are doing that now, using their teaching assistants and learning mentors to cover PPA time because of costs, obviously. Yeah, and but with I COVID. Just think, yeah, and I just thought, I'm, um, I didn't want to be a teacher. No. I'm not trained to be a teacher. Yeah. A lot of the children don't they don't respect me as a teacher they respect me as like a an adult in the school that they can talk to and I feel yeah. like that's quite different yeah because you have these different relationships with children they'll probably talk to me in a way they won't talk to a teacher yeah so if I'm in their classroom I think that can be quite confusing for that for them and they yeah. don't give me that same level of respect in a classroom no, that's really hard isn't it to change roles like that within the same role it's you know you're switching around it gets confusing yeah. for the children as well. But what? Um, how many weeks had you or months had you worked at the school when you requested these flexible working hours? It was definitely over six months. Yeah. So because so, you're entitled, yeah. I mean, just for anyone that's listening and going through the same thing, all employees have the legal right to request flexible working, not just parents and carers. Um, and you do it in writing formally, and you must have worked for the employer for 26 weeks. I think that's like five months. And if it, the request is rejected, there has to be a reason um, that comes under the following. So it's the burden of additional costs, an inability to reorganise work amongst existing staff. So I guess that's what yours would come under, even though mm. it's such a small bit of time. So they probably got out on a technicality there. An inability to recruit additional staff, a detrimental impact on quality and a detrimental impact on performance. Um, yeah, so I mean, it's 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 dodgy ground, I think, isn't it? You know, they can, all they have to do is put something under one of those bullet points, and that's it. They don't yeah. have to give it to you. I mean, the last lesson was independent learning, and I definitely feel like when when teaching staff run independent learning, mm. often the room is silent. The children are sitting there; they're doing their work. Yeah, and like some teachers have said to me, "Oh, I've got all this done. I did all this planning and." And so I know that there could, it probably could have happened because not all members of staff were being used at that time. Mm. I know that there's members of staff that aren't that aren't in lessons at that time. But then I also know that teachers are protected by teaching time. Yeah. Which we weren't. So, so you didn't get any uh, PPA time, like planning time or? No. Wow. So you were supposed to make all these resources, but you had no set well, time to do that. So what they allowed, what I had was send admin, but I got one of them a week so that's right. 100 minutes a week um but in that time that's when i would normally be um looking at ehcps do i have any reviews coming up mm. planning the paperwork for that yeah um yeah so that and then often that send admin time 
I would get put cover for a lesson. Yeah. And the time, so I'd, my my timetable was like um, independent learning, the majority of it was that. I had literacy lessons, which was taking the children who couldn't access modern foreign language and doing extra English work with them. Right. Um, that's a whole nother issue that I don't think really works um, because they might be doing really, they might do really well actually and improve in English, but now they can't go into modern foreign language because they've missed a year of it. Yeah, that's interesting, isn't it? I guess getting their first language first, but then, like you say, that means that they're entering into modern foreign language with nothing. Yeah, and then they can't go back. So then they sit in literacy mm. until GCSE. Yeah. Because they can't go back into the lesson because they can't access it. And I had a discussion with, um, I believe it was a Spanish teacher or a French teacher about this, and they said, if their English isn't amazing, they can still learn a foreign language. And her idea was, you know, you learn language from a baby and it's just spoken to you and you, you learn it and grasp it and that's all they're going to do with these children. Mm. So they were like, if they don't know what a pronoun is or where to put a full stop, it's not going to stop them from learning Spanish. No, I mean, I have issues with the specifics of the English curriculum anyway, because I just feel like I never learned. I mean, you learned what like a noun and a verb was, but mm. the depth that we go into in terms of sentence structure and grammar now I don't think it's necessary. I think no. creative writing, knowing how to put a sentence together, you know, it's it's lacking in 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 openness and creativity. And mm. I think this idea that we structure a sentence in this set way is quite limiting and actually makes a lot of children feel like they're failing if they don't structure it in a certain way. Or this idea that, you know, we can only use certain words or those words are used too much so we can't use them. I just think, well, if we're writing, mm. it's a personal thing and a creative process. I had a child say to me, he was removed from lesson, they were doing poetry and he said to me, why am I even doing this? And he said, no one even writes poetry anymore. <laughs> and it's because it was such an old style. Yeah, of, and, and I was like, them. And I said, but people do write poetry. Yeah. And a lot of the time, like, I was, they, like a few children are really into rap and that. And I was like, what do you think that is? Yeah. Like, and yeah, he was all like books. No one reads books anymore. And I was like, don't they? <laughs> like, but yeah, they just see it as this like old way of of being. It's, yeah. it's like it's, it's not, not relevant to them anymore. No, it's like handwriting. No. I always say this: it's th this idea that we spend fifteen, twenty minutes working on handwriting in primary school is is problematic, in my opinion, because. Yes, we need to be able to read your writing. The reader needs to be able to read your writing and not struggle so they can really enjoy mm. it. But it's the content, isn't it? And to be fair, this yeah. generation is not going to be doing writing when they're older. They're not. They have. We don't use writing now in our jobs, do we? I mean, I have post-its everywhere because I'm old school, but I, only I have to read those. But yeah. everything's kept on a computer <laughs> these days. Well, this is it. I used to think my son's writing... I. I could read it, it was fine, mm. but you know, no, it needs to be cursive, you need to be joining, mm. and since he's doing that, it, I, for me, I can't read it. Yeah. He joins in all the wrong places, and... Well, that's probably and, what he's concentrating more, more on that yeah. than the content as well. And, um, and then it's, 
And then he's being corrected on that. And actually, if you just let him print, yeah, you could read it and it would be fine. And yeah. he's not feeling like he's doing something wrong. Again, it's that sausage factory, isn't it? It's, we all need yep. to be writing in the same way. And it's like, no, we're individuals. I mean, my partner, he won't mind me saying, has got the worst handwriting in the world. <laughs> he's got a very good job. He's done very well in life. He's happy and he can be creative. Yeah. And, you know, I just think that saying that handwriting is really important is um, is a problem. What about um, how now that you've worked in a secondary school? How old are your children? Oh, I had to think about that. Five <laughs> and seven, so they're little. So you've got a while, yeah. although it will probably go quickly. How do you mm. feel about sending them to secondary school, knowing how it runs? Do you feel more comfortable because you've been there, or do you feel less comfortable because you know what it's like? Definitely less comfortable. Oh no! I never, I never thought about secondary school until I started working there, and then I was like holy moly yeah <laughs> um you know I was scared and I just I remember thinking I wouldn't send my children here yeah and then how do you know how do you know if a school's good or not unless you've been inside of it whilst it's running yeah like as a mole you know mm. not on a not on a day when you're walking around and they like exclude a load of kids so it runs smoothly and you know pick the best students to show you around yeah and like you know get some amazing lessons going and you know a dance class out in the courtyard that's not how it normally goes so it's really hard to then think what am I going to look for in a school yeah because you don't know do you think there are certain things certain clues that parents could look out for that would tell them whether it's a school that you would want your child to be at? Or do you think it's impossible to tell? It's really hard, actually, because what I found was hard about this school was behaviour and behaviour management. And it really impacted, you know, every classroom. Yeah. Like, there, was, there was problems in every classroom. And we had so many children who were vulnerable and really needed help. So their behaviour was, was not great that's that's what I found really hard and and the kind of life experiences of the children that were Mm. there you know children shouldn't have to experience the things that a lot of these children live with and and that made the school it made it it made it hard for other children like I had children come up to me and say you know these kids here then they're not like children they behave like adults and yeah some of the things I would hear year seven say was like they were 40 years old out down the pub yeah and and that I don't want my children to be around but then at the same time that's not that child's fault no so I feel like you can do all you want can't you as a parent to yeah you know you have to be have an open transparent conversation but there are certain things that you Mm. may not introduce into their life at certain points like you say these really grown-up things um as soon as they're out into the big wide world especially secondary school they're faced with all sorts of things what do you what do you think comes first is the curriculum causing this this mental health crisis or is the mental health crisis meaning that we can't access the curriculum therefore it's like a cycle what in your opinion what yeah i i I would say it's mental health first yeah because it's coming from home right and i feel like you can't how can you do anything properly when your home life is turmoil right and why do you think there's, uh, you know, from your experience working with these children, you're saying that a lot of the problems began at home. Is what? Why is that happening more now? I, th- I think it's just a, a lot of childhood poverty. 
I think there's a lot of child, childhood poverty. I feel like there's a lot of single parents who are, you know, really trying to do their best, but it leaves children unattended. Yeah. If if that makes sense, you know, mm. it means that children are left to their own devices for for a huge amount of time, and they have so much access to to the world. Yeah. Through the internet, and it just means that they're they're exposed to so many things that they shouldn't be exposed to at such a young age that they're not having a childhood anymore you know it's not cool to be you know really good at, at you know tennis or anything like that is it it's cool to you know know what's going on on tiktok and all these dances mm-hmm. and and i feel like that they feel like they're they're above school if that makes a if that makes any sense at all. When they're being stimulated by a computer, it's hard to, to compete with that as a teacher, isn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah and I, I feel think... like Go on. they know so much about the world yeah. that they come into school and think, why do I care about this? Mm. When so much of the news is, is when news is never good, is it? That's not, their, mm. that's not the take on the world from the news point of view. They, they, they only do bad news. So if the children are hearing this all the time. I mean, for my own mental health, I don't read the news a lot I really limit you know I like Mm. to know what's going on in the world and stay plugged in but at the same time I think if you're getting up and you're seeing all of this stuff that's happening all around the world is there any need for us to know all that stuff all the time and interesting you should talk about you know family life when yesterday our health minister Sajid Javid said that uh, social care begins at home that we need to be looking after ourselves when in actual fact what you've just said is that these people are not being supported enough to no. be able to parent and I, yeah there was definitely times where I felt the school and the parent were you know battling against each other mm. because it was almost like for the parent the child is our responsibility for a huge amount of the day but then we're saying as well you know what are you doing at the same time to help us with the issues that you're we're bringing to you so yeah. you know we could be saying we want to refer your child to this kind of mental health, um, you know, Bromley YSA. And they would say, oh, yeah, that's fine. But then there'd be nothing else on their end, any additional things to support the child because they'd say, well, the school have, the school have done that referral. Mm. And, and then at the same time, sometimes parents would say to us, you know, what are you doing for my child? And I'd say, oh, you know, we can do X, Y and Z. What are you doing? Yeah. And it's it that community like, approach, isn't it, that's yeah, missing? And, yeah, and it wasn't like a... It was almost like a, you deal with your child. No, you deal with your child. Yeah. And there wasn't that, you know, this is what we can do at school. This is what you can do at home. Yeah. And let's do it together. And a lot of the time, it's because these parents, you know, they might not see the value in these resources. Yeah. A lot of them think, oh, if my child goes to therapy, what's going to come up? Because a few children have said, oh, no, what, what happens at home stays at home. And so a lot of parents just dismiss, you know, what's going on. It's hard for everyone, I think. Yeah, there's not enough support for both sides, Mm. I think that sounds like. What advice would you give to someone becoming a learning mentor? How can they ensure that they do the job mindfully and look after their own well-being? I think you have to realise that there's only so much you can do as as one person. But as long as, you know, you're listening and looking for for the signs that say, right, you know, maybe I need to intervene here or speak to someone about this. I think that's what it is. Don't become overwhelmed. And it depends because I do I do think that the learning mentor role is different across every school. I think they I think it's a title that's used, 
but actually the job description is very different. Do you think it needs to be more consistent so people know what's expected of them? Yeah, definitely, because definitely in in EHCPs, there's um, a section that always says, you know, this is to be um, carried out by SENCO, Deputy SENCO, Learning Mentor or TA. So it gives you things that you should be doing for this child but actually if your job description has 20 other things in it that don't allow for that yeah when you're then reviewing these legal documents and they're saying right your learning mentor should be doing this you might think actually that's not on my job description i haven't been doing that Mm. you know i think it, it definitely needs to be less taking your own lessons like i was doing and mm. more with the children yeah just more uniformed across schools and the education system yeah because then we know that that is that is what that person does yeah and presumably the pay is the same or the or similar yeah, the pay was very bad <laughs> i mean i did look it up on um on a website i was shocked when i saw because you know the job of a learning mentor with children with special educational needs, like I said, is demanding and it it needs a lot of uh, mental capacity as well, at time, your time and emotional um, yeah. attendance. So, yeah, I was quite surprised when I saw saw the salary on it. Um, what yeah. for you now, Helen? Because you, you don't do this job anymore. Uh, what, what are your plans? Sure. I, I don't have concrete plans. I feel like, so I'm, I'm in my second year of... A psychology with counselling degree. Was that the job that made you do that, or did, were you no, doing this before? I was doing that before. Mm-hmm. When do you finish? So I'd finish May twenty-three. Well, so best I... of luck with that. That's amazing that you're doing mothering and uh, a degree and working. Thank you so much for coming to talk to us and teaching me about the role of a learning mentor. No, that's okay. Thanks for having me. Helen, thank you. I honestly learned so much about the role of a learning mentor. The focus on wellbeing in secondary schools seems to be on the agenda just as it is in primary education. But again, it's that all important acting and making real change that needs to happen. A shift in culture where wellbeing is embedded in school life is vital if we want all individual children to feel valued and loved. If you want to know more about how Mindfulness for Learning can support your school, you can go to www.mindfulnessforlearning.com forward slash workshops, where you will find all of our support packages for educators, including support for your school parents and carers. Thanks for listening and see you next time.